Well, Christmas is, without a doubt, a season of traditions. And many of our traditions, while all centered on Christmas, differ. You know, I didn't grow up with Advent or an Advent wreath. We taught us about it years ago, and we modified it and made it a part of our Christmas morning tradition, uh, along with, of course, the singing of Happy Birthday to Jesus. Santa's role in family celebrations also differs. As I was growing up, Santa was a really big deal. When we went to bed, the only sign of Christmas in our house was a plate of cookies for Santa and a carrot for Rudolph. Uh, When Dad led us out of the bedroom after getting home from working the night shift, we found a room full of presents under a tree that hadn't been there the night before. Santa brought everything. Well, when I got older and discovered Santa had a lot of help from Mom, it just about ruined Christmas for me. And his role in Christmas for my kids was therefore considerably less than it had been for me. Now, for some, Christmas traditions are just that. They're traditions. They are optional things that we choose to do to enhance the celebration of Christmas. For others, they are the heart and soul of Christmas. And to question the validity of a tradition, or to see someone ignore or even worse, denigrate the tradition we hold dear, is sacrilege. That's not only true of Christmas traditions, it's true of all traditions that we hold sacred. And the matter is complicated even further when we can't agree when a particular religious practice should be considered a tradition or elevated to the status of doctrine. The Lord's Supper and Baptism provide us with perfect examples of the conflict over tradition and the difference between a tradition and a doctrine. It's our tradition to partake of the Lord's Supper every Sunday. And I believe it's a good tradition. It's a tradition that goes all the way back to the early church. In Acts 27, it mentions the fact that on the first day of the week, the disciples gathered together to break bread. And historians tell us that the early church did so every first day of the week. We are, however, never commanded to partake of the Lord's Supper every Sunday. So we can't elevate the practice of weekly observance of the Lord's Supper to the level of doctrine. It is simply a tradition. Baptism is another matter. Now some would suggest that our insistence on emotion is just our tradition. But they ignore the fact that the word used in the New Testament for baptized means to immerse. 
and no reputable scholar will deny the fact that immersion was the only form of baptism practiced in the early church. The change came from men. And it's our conviction that to accept alternative forms of baptism, even though practiced for hundreds of years by many segments of the church, is wrong. It's elevating the teaching of men above the teaching of Scripture. There are some things we must declare to be doctrines because they are the clear teachings of Scripture. We can't relegate our differences to differences in tradition. There are some doctrinal differences that must be acknowledged and vigorously defended. We must, however, be careful not to confuse the two. And we can't elevate our traditions to the status of doctrines. And that's exactly what the scribes and Pharisees had done. And it led to an ugly confrontation between them and Jesus. We read of the confrontation in Matthew 15. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered them and said to them, And why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother. And he who speaks evil of father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever shall say to his father or mother, Anything of mine you might have been helped by has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother. And thus you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites! Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Now this isn't merely an intellectual debate. This is a heated exchange. The Pharisees and scribes had come all the way from Jerusalem to confront Jesus about this matter, and Jesus responded with some very harsh words. They asked him, Why do you disciples transgress the tradition of the elders, for they do not wash their hands when they eat bread? Now, this was not a matter of personal hygiene. They didn't even know about germs. But some unnamed elder from a generation past had taught that Shinta, a demon, sat on men's hands while they slept. And if they didn't wash their hands before eating, the demon would get on the food and be swallowed and defile them. So they washed their hands before every meal. And the very conscientious even washed their hands between the courses of a meal. It was even spelled out how they should wash their hands and how much water they should use. 
enough water to fill one and a half eggshells. It doesn't say this extra large or medium. Uh, <laughs> was poured over the hands while they were pointed up, allowing the water to drip off the wrists. And when the water was poured while they pointed down, allowing the water to run off their fingers, only then could they be sure that they had gotten all the demons off their hands. Now this is serious stuff to the Jews. A rabbi Timoth is quoted as having said, Whosoever hath his abode in the land of Israel, and eateth his common food with washed hands, and speaks the holy language, and recites his philacteries morning and evening, he may rest assured that he shall obtain eternal life. Jesus' disciples were then in view of the Pharisees and scribes risking their eternal life by not washing their hands before eating. And Jesus, by inference, as their teacher, was doing the same. But Jesus doesn't even respond to the ridiculous idea that demons needed to be washed off hands even though some mothers might view germs as if they were demons. What he did do was accuse the Pharisees of transgressing the commandment of God for the sake of their traditions. And he used a shocking illustration of how they did so. God had clearly commanded, Honor your father and mother. And he had made it very clear that not only do parents have responsibilities toward their children, but the children have responsibilities toward their parents. Some men, however, had come up with a scheme that would get adult children off the hook. If they would declare all, or perhaps just a portion of the resources that would be used to support elderly parents, to, to be Corbin, to be a gift of God, they didn't have to meet any of the financial obligations toward the parents. And they could feel very religious doing so. Yeah. Sorry, Mom. I'd help you if I can, if I could, but all my money has been given to God. Jesus was horrified by that practice. And he called them hypocrites, saying Isaiah had it right when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. The Pharisees said things that sounded religious. They tried to look religious. But their hearts weren't right. Their hearts were far away from God. And it's the heart God is concerned about. In Romans 10.10, it says we are to believe in our heart. In Matthew 22.37, we're told to love God with all our heart. In Colossians 3.16, we're instructed to sin with thankfulness in our hearts. In Ephesians 6, 6, we're told to do the will of God from the heart. And in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, we're told to give cheerfully, just as we purpose in our heart to do. God knows more about the inside than the outside. 
On other occasions, Jesus would tell the Pharisees that they worried about the outside of the cup, what people could see, but didn't care what it was like on the inside. God's more concerned about the inside. He's more concerned about why you do what you do than what you do. Not that what you do isn't important, but even doing the right things means nothing to God if it's done for the wrong reason. And the Pharisees really were doing the right thing. They were worshiping God in being because they were ignoring what God really wanted and doing what they wanted to do. They had elevated their own teachings above those of God. They were doing their own thing and expecting God to be pleased. And they had the audacity to condemn anyone who didn't agree with them. Jesus called them out on it. And he made sure that those who had witnessed the confrontation understood what it was all about. This room. And after he called the multitude to him, he said to them, Hear and understand. Not what enters into the mouth defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth. This defiles the man. Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. And Peter answered and said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you still lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, Slanders. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. The Pharisees said a man is defiled by what he puts into his mouth. Jesus said a man is defiled by what comes out. Now, the Pharisees hadn't originated the idea that a man could be defiled by what he ate. Old Testament dietary regulations that God gave to Moses clearly stated that a man would be unclean if he ate unclean animals. Now, we don't fully understand why God made the distinctions he made between clean and unclean animals. The Israelites couldn't eat pork or catfish or many of the things that we eat with God's blessing. In Acts 10, Peter was given to visit with all kinds of animals and crawling creatures and birds and was told to kill and eat. When he objected, saying, Oh, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean, the voice declared that God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. 
Now, what happened next makes it clear that the primary point of the vision was to make sure Peter understood that God wanted the gospel to go to the unclean Gentiles. But Mark indicates that Jesus, by saying what he said here, was also declaring all foods clean. Why they've been unclean earlier, we're not sure. Most likely it had something to do with God's desire for the children of Israel to be unique, separated from their pagan neighbors. It's possible that it may have also had something to do with dangers inherent in eating improperly cooked meats that were prone to carry diseases. Whatever the reason, the Pharisees had added their traditions to the dietary regulations of the Old Testament, and it focused so much on the external that they ignored what was really important. So Jesus declared to the multitude, Hear and understand. Not what enters the mouth defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth. This defiles the man. When the disciples informed Jesus that the Pharisees were offended by what he had said, he basically said they were offended. They're blind guides leading the blind, and their teachings are not from the Father anyway. Peter then said, We don't get it. Explain the parable to us. Jesus responded with a Lesson in basic physiology explaining how the food we eat simply goes to his stomach and ends up in the latrine. And that's really what he said. <coughs> food doesn't defile us because it doesn't reach the heart. And by heart, he doesn't mean the pump in our chest. He means the inner man. We're defiled by evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, Fornications, thefts, false witness, and slanders. So does this mean it's okay to put harmful drugs and alcohol in our body? That anything that simply goes through our system won't defile us? Not necessarily. If we make the decision to abuse our body, or to ignore the effect our personal choices have on others, that decision comes from the inner man. And it's what comes from the inner man that has the potential to defile us. What we think and say and do, that's what defiles us. Not what we eat. The Pharisees had reduced righteousness to external observations, and Jesus said, No way. No way. You can religiously follow all the traditions of your church. You can sing the right songs, even if they've been changed a bit. Pray the right prayers. Read the Bible daily. Observe the Lord's Supper weekly. Celebrate holidays in a way that offend no one. And be in church every time the doors would open. And still be defiled. If your heart's 
not right. Jesus is more concerned about the inside of the cup than the outside. He's more concerned about what comes out of your mouth than what goes in it. Search me, O God, and know my heart today. Try me, O Savior. Know my thoughts, I pray. See if there be some wicked way in me. Cleanse me from every sin and set me free. That's our concern at Christmas time. It's not about the externals. It's not about the traditions. It's not about Christmas wars. It's about what's going on in here. Search me, O God. And will my heart today. Let's stand.